This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig on Moose FM. Welcome to this edition of the show. A little later on, we're going to be talking with Lana Knights of the North Peace Ride for the Disabled about the summer they've had and some excellent events coming up in the fall season for them. But first, the Charlie Lake Conservation Society has had a busy summer with several events and an exhibit at the Fort St. John North Peace Museum. To chat a bit about what the society is about and about the lake they've named themselves after, we're joined now by society members Bruce Kosugi and Glynis Mondrell. Uh, Bruce and Glynis, welcome uh, back to Moose Talks. I think you've both been here before, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you're both here uh, this morning. So for people who are hearing this for the first time and maybe don't know what the society is about, can we start there? What, what, what's kind of your, your mandate? Why, did, why is there a society? We are a little group of people, a little society, and we just are really interested in promoting this little gem we have sitting north of Fort St. John. Um, our main mandate is to do some information gathering about the lake and mm-hmm. educate the public as best we can about what we discover and just to promote it as a recreational site and a place to enjoy year-round. Mm-hmm. And I know a, a lot of the things you do are, are sort of related to wildlife that's found around the lake and even sort of the things in the lake. We're going to talk about the study, which talked a bit about the blue-green algae and whatnot in a bit, but uh, that seems to be a lot of what you're doing as well. It's not just recreation, but get out, go for a walk, look at all the cool things you can find and see right in our backyard, essentially. eh? Yeah, it's biodiversity at the lake is is rich in the water and, and around the lakeshore. It's got a large watershed, and it's a very attractive place. It's got a lot of green space, um, and so it, it's an attractive area for all kinds of wildlife, uh, from the large ungulates, elk, moose, deer, uh-huh. to the little tiniest reptiles. And then, of course, the lake itself is rich in fish. So, yeah, it's a great place to be if you want to experience wildlife. Uh-huh. Do you happen to know uh, how old the society is? Has it been around quite some time at this point? Since ninety-seven. Oh, sorry, Bruce, make sure you just uh, speak right into the microphone there. <laughs> sure. Since 1997. Okay, so we're getting on uh, close to 25, 30 years here now. So um, I want to get to this study that came out this year because, first of all, I was fascinated by uh, just how long it took for this study to kind of get done. Tell me a bit about the study that came out this year and kind of what you found, if you don't mind, as briefly as you can. So we did a... Uh presentation at the museum about a lot of the volunteer studies that have been going on for Mm -hmm. over 20 years and we were building off some studies that uh, the ministry of environment had started before so we we looked at water chemistry we looked at plants in the lake we looked at algae in the lake and uh, we tried to put that all together into what we think uh, is happening with the lake Mm -hmm. and to talk about some of the things that uh, I think people have perceptions about the lake. But right off the bat, Charlie Lake is a mature lake. Mm -hmm. It's a eutropic lake in terms of uh, scientific terms, 
but that really means that it is a very productive lake in terms of wildlife, in terms of fish and plants. And uh, I know that people have concerns about how the lake has changed. And we've seen that too in the time we've been around the lake. Mm-hmm. Uh in the late 70s, early 80s, they put a weir in at the south end of the lake mm-hmm. to raise the water level up, which was about a meter. And there were some significant changes that happened all around the lake. Mm-hmm. Primarily, it was, you know, the disappearance of the aquatic plant beds all around the lake because we think it was erosion kind of smothering the the plant beds. I see. And so people were used to having a lake without a whole lot of plants in it. Mm -hmm. And at that time, people were quite concerned that all of a sudden, you know, there's this massive change. But around 2010, I think things started stabilizing. Erosion was settling down. And those aquatic plant beds started coming back mm-hmm. to where we see now we've got aquatic plants all around the lake. So Glennis uh, and I and some volunteers have been doing some studies over the past five years of what's happening with the aquatic plants. And some of the things that we've seen is there's a change in the variety of plants and now the predominant one is something called Elodia or Canada Pondweed mm-hmm. that, you know, people will recognize. But there's other plants in the lake as well, and they're starting to reappear. So there's a, an equilibrium that, that's trying to happen in the lake. So uh, that's the major change that people have seen, mm-hmm. you know, who have been on the lake for a little bit. There were plants... There weren't plants. Now they're plants again. But the other thing is those plants are uh, always changing. Yeah. In front of Glennis's place, and she can tell you, uh, she's noticed some incredible changes. Yeah, for a long time there were no plants in front of my place. And then for a couple of years there were dense mats. And the last two years there have been nothing. Hmm. So as, as an... You, you just wonder what are the variables that nature throws out there that we don't know anything about, right? Yeah. Do you, I mean, I, I guess that kind of begs the question, do you have an idea of, of why that might have happened that way? Or is it just, as sort of Bruce, you were saying, the lake's trying to kind of come to an equilibrium after even now 30-something years on, uh, or 40 years on, I should say, from when the lake's kind of level rose by a meter. Yeah. It's still sort of trying to... Figure it out. Figure out what's going on, essentially. Well, if you think about it, over the last five years, um, the lake itself, we have weather changes uh, a lot. Like 2019, 2020, it poured rain all summer long. The lake levels were very high. There was a lot of siltation in the lake in 1920 or 2020. Yeah. Um, and then this year, the lake level is extremely low. There's been very little, very minimal runoff into the lake at all because of the sort of drought conditions around. So. Again, nature throws these things out to us, and um, we are just observers of that. And the formula is unknown to us at this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Change, is, change is part. Nature is change. Yeah. 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 
Um, I did want to talk a bit about uh, the algae because I remember we did a story on uh, this at energeticcity.ca recently. Um, and, and, and I think this goes to sort of what you said. Some people have some pre preconceived notions about Charlie Lake. Well, the algae, it turns out, is actually not toxic in the same way that it might be uh, when it appears in other lakes, right? Yeah. So the algae in Charlie Lake has been around for a long time. And uh, they know from sediment studies that the lake has been very productive, which means that there's algae and plants and fish. So the blue-green algae, which is really a cyanobacteria, not a true algae, okay. is the one that people are concerned about. It's the one that, you know, it looks like if there's a dense collection of this algae that blows into an area... It it's pretty ugly looking, and it may look like someone spilt like turquoise paint on top of the water mm-hmm. as it as it starts uh, decomposing. So in other lakes, blue green algae can be toxic, and uh, we did a two year study that was funded by the uh, uh, the regional district, and we wanted to look at what are the types of algae, and are there toxins present? So we measured microcystin, which is one of the toxins that they routinely measure. Mm-hmm. And we were happy to see that those levels were low. So for now, we don't have the same sort of problem that they do in some of the other lakes around North America. I see. It- can you explain again why that might be? Why the same sort of bloom might happen here of this uh, bacteria, as you say, that happens at other lakes? But for some reason, here we're not seeing the toxins that we do see in other. Is there an explanation for why that might be? Are you able to say why that is? No, they they really don't have a good handle on why mm-hmm. some of the same strains can be toxic in one place and not toxic in another. And uh, people have also seen changes in the level of blue-green algae. Mm -hmm. So, for example, this year, we haven't seen as much as in previous years. Uh, Part of that may be because it's been so dry and we don't have a lot of runoff. We don't have a lot of nutrients and sediment coming into the lake Mm -hmm. uh, that may affect it. The other thing... uh, the plants that are growing around the lake take nutrients up that the algae used to have full access to. I see. And uh, I remember in the early 2000s, uh, before the, the plant beds were established, there were uh, a few days in the summer where it was green all across the lake. Mm. Whereas now you'll get green in the bays. Uh, you'll get uh, some that you can see in the water column, but not a thick layer that uh, we had before the plants. Interesting. So essentially, if we keep kind of promoting, and I wonder if this is part of why you do this, but if we keep we see those plant beds come back and we sort of work to make sure that they keep coming back more and more, we're likely going to see less of this bacteria because it won't have the nutrients in the same way. Or is it again sort of like, well, (laughs) 
It's sort of one of those things in theory, um, but you, we don't know for sure. And that's yeah. why the monitoring piece is important to us. Um, Blue-green algaes are becoming increasing an increasing problem across North America. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot more research being paid attention to this, so we're going to try and stay on top of what's happening elsewhere, mm-hmm. you know, make contacts where we can. Um, the BC Lake Stewardship, which Bruce um, is active in, are also, you know, dealing with this in southern areas of British Columbia where they haven't really had these concerns before. So, again, it's that trying to stay on top of the, the research and trying to keep the observations going on in our own lake. Um, and try and connect the dots and just keep the public informed. They always have to, where you see blue-green allergy, uh, algae, we always say use caution um, and use good sense. Mm-hmm. Use the safety protocols that are out there. They're posted at the lake. Um, and if it's really bad in one place, there's lots of places around the lake. It won't be so, go see if you can find a place where it's not blooming. Mm-hmm. That's what we recommend to people. All right. Yep. Uh, this is fascinating, um, which is to say I don't have a lot of time left, so we're going to have to zip <laughs> through a couple of things now. Uh, the exhibit at the North Peace uh, or the Fort St. John North Peace Museum on till the middle of September. There's a lot of this information that's available there, and that's kind of what's on display at the museum, yeah. correct? We have had a thank, thankful to the museum. They have given us this wonderful opportunity to just highlight the lake Um and it has been a wonderful experience. We've been really busy with this this summer. We just wanted to make it kind of a, an interactive, informative um, place to be. And we're really grateful for the opportunity. So, yeah, we're going to take it down um, middle of September. And um, hopefully people have visited it, especially with their little ones. We wanted to make it an interactive thing for families. That was kind of our focus, was for families to go and just um, get to know it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we've... You know, really appreciated the support from uh, Heather and the museum. And we've had great partnerships, uh, uh, certainly with the Fort St. John Public Library, BC Mm -hmm. Parks. Uh, Moose has been a great supporter of ours as well. And we're looking to do a few activities uh, in the fall, winter. Mm-hmm. As well, possibly uh, a star watching night with the uh, uh, Whiskey Jack Nordic Ski Club. Nice. And so stay tuned to our Facebook page and we'll have events next year as well. Awesome. Well, I'm really thankful that uh, both of you took a few minutes to drive up here and uh, do this with me uh, this morning. Thank you so much, Bruce. Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, thank you so much, Glenn. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, That's uh, Glynis Vondrell and uh, Bruce Kusuji with the Charlie Lake Conservation Society. We'll be right back to talk to Lana Knight of the North Peace Ride for the Disabled right after this on Moose Talks. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dub Craig. Now we're here to talk a bit about the North Peace Ride for the Disabled. They do some very cool things, and you may have run into uh, some of the uh, volunteers with the Society over at the Fall Fair recently. They were helping with uh, parking, if I remember right. Uh, Anyway, to talk a bit about what they do in some ways that maybe you can get involved in this in the coming fall season, we're here to talk uh, with Lana Knights with the uh, North Peace Ride for the Disabled. Lana, welcome to Moose Talks. Thank you for having me here. I'm really grateful you took a few minutes uh, to chat with us today. Um, so I'll start with the same question I started with with the uh, Conservation Society. Tell us a bit about what the North Peace Ride for the Disabled is and, and does. Okay. Well, we are a program that uh, we do 
a weekly horse riding for pe- people with various disabilities, limitations, uh, and we put them on horses, around, walk around the arena. It is just, uh, yeah, fabulous. I see. Uh, is, is this like, and I, I, well, first of all, how old, is, how, how long has this been around for, if you happen to know? One of the longest programs around here, I think. In 1984, we actually started up. Oh, okay. And was this like a, a need that you identified? Like, was there a lot of people who said, I'd, I'd love to get on a horse, even though I'm, you know, I might. It that might be one. harder for me to do it than, say, a regularly able person. It is, because it, it's the only program of its type in our region. Yeah. And uh, so, yes, in 1984, there was a group of, let's say, caregivers, parents, families, uh, working alongside with the Child Development Center. And, uh, again, they came up with an idea of, and worked out of the Light Horse Association for many, many years. And uh, it was incredible. Again, incredible that uh, we have so many people that this is their weekly activities. It's a recreational thing. It's also a social activity mm-hmm. for, for people with disabilities. Yeah. Is it like something that runs all day, kind of, say, five days a week or whatever? Or is there kind of specific times where, which would help with the social aspect? Everyone gathers and then everyone goes for a ride. Okay. Well, it. We actually only operate on Wednesdays. I see. Okay. Uh, Wednesday evenings. So we start in our rides actually in October, and we go through every Wednesday through to the end of April. I see. And uh, the we have a group that comes in, starts at three o'clock, getting the horses ready, grooming the horses, getting the saddles on, warming them up. The first group of riders show up at five o'clock, and then we have riders every half hour. I see. Okay. How many um, horses are kind of running at once then? Is it just one at a time or is there a few? We have uh, six to eight horses that we can accommodate in the facility. We operate out of Sunset Stables in Baldonnell. I see. And uh, so we can do six to eight riders at a time. Mm -hmm. And again, some of these riders have cerebral palsy or wheelchair or mobility issues. We have a specialized sling that we are able to pick the people out of their wheelchairs, put them on that horse, and we have a specialized equipment to hold them onto uh, into okay. the saddles to take them around the course. Fascinating. So it, it's sort of, it keeps them in the saddle, I suppose. Absolutely. It's like a special saddle, I yes. guess. Hey? And uh, then how many people do you, would you say on average you see every Wednesday then, just in total? Well, uh Last year, we did have 24 riders. We had six horses going each session. Uh-huh. Um, and then as well, we're needing many volunteers. Yeah. Uh, we need people to be sidewalkers, making sure that the person is seated correctly or staying safe. Uh, we have riders that have epilepsy or may, again, have a seizure, and we have to remove them out of the, the saddle safely. Uh-huh. Um so, again, we have to do training for our volunteers of how to deal with that sort of situation. Also need people to lead the horses around, uh, people to uh, clean up the facility, keep it nice and neat, follow around the horses, do the pooper scooping, <laughs> whatever's required. That's uh-huh. what we're needing. Are the horses, and I apologize if this is a silly question. I know nothing about <laughs> horses. but Are the horses, um, have they sort of been trained to be be a part of this in some Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we do a training session for the horses. We've hired uh, two young ladies to be our ride coordinators this year. Mm-hmm. 
they have a lot of horse sense and and uh, horses need to have a proper confirmation or attitude i guess you mm-hmm. don't want somebody too spirited in there mm-hmm. so uh they will go through each of the horses now and not to say that our horses are old kind of plodding along yeah um pack horses but they are trained to if there is a noise they're not going to spook yeah um if yeah. a pole or something gets knocked over they're not going to startle mm-hmm. so they're very very calm um uh, they might be a little bit older but they're very used to being around a lot of people so that really really helps with our, our program i see and uh are some of the horses have have they been around for a bit and been a part of the ride for some time as well absolutely we try to use um, the same horses or uh each year mm-hmm. we're always having new horses so again some riders get used to having a certain horse ginger from the year before and sorry the ginger's out to pasture this year so yeah. i'm not going to be riding so uh Again, we pair each rider up with a horse that they usually ride throughout the season. I see. Okay. And uh, just just so they get more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And it probably helps if they develop a bond kind of with each they other. Do, they actually. do, actually. Yeah. The, the horses know their riders, and uh, people look forward, the riders really look forward to seeing their horse. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, you've already sort of mentioned kind of a, a bit about the volunteer opportunities, because as you said, this will be starting up again in October through till April. So, um, you know, people listening right now say, I, I can help out a night a week or whatnot. Uh, again, tell us what sort of things they can do and, and what they need to do to get in touch to to get trained up to do it. Well, we're uh, actually on Sunday, September 24th, we are hosting a Welcome Back Wagon Ride. Mm-hmm. Now, this is for people that are interested in volunteering, people who think they could benefit from um, maybe being a rider. Mm-hmm. Also, retur- all our returning riders and volunteers. So it's really nice. We haven't seen everybody or some of them since we sh- shut down in April. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a chance to get everybody back together. We have a little barbecue do some wagon rides. We have a work bee that day, get the arena all ready. And, and uh, so, again, there's going to be that opportunity. It'll be posted on our Facebook page, North Peace Ride for the Disabled. So, again, Sunday, September 24th, we usually run that from 1130 to 330. Okay. So just show up if you're interested and you'll kind of find out you can go from there. That's right. Okay. Our other time as well, we do have a volunteer orientation because, as I mentioned, we need to show everyone uh, the do's and don'ts of, about uh, the horses and some of the riders, how to operate the lift to put the people on the horses. Mm-hmm. Um, so that session is going to be Wednesday, October 4th from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock. Again, come to Sunset Stables in Baldonald. We do have uh, signs posted. It's on the road just past the Baldonald Elementary School. Hang a right and head down the road. Beautiful drive and you'll find us. Awesome, awesome. Well, Lana, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, chat with us today. Thanks so much for coming by. I loved it. It was great. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having us. And again, anybody wants to sponsor or volunteer or you know someone who could benefit to be a rider, please, uh, again, contact us on the Facebook page. Or uh, again, we'll see you at uh, the block party. Excellent. Uh, again, that's all. Lana ne- uh, Knight, pardon me, Lana Knight with the North Peace Ride for the Disabled. Our thanks to our guests, Bruce Kosugi, uh, Glynis Mondrell, and Lana Knight for joining us today. If you'd like to hear this episode again, or if you'd like to hear an old episode of Moose Talks, make sure you check out the energeticcity.ca podcast page. 
You'll find past episodes of this show, along with episodes of Secrets of the North, Before the Peace, and Voices of the Peace, archived for your listening pleasure. You get an extra day off this weekend. Why not spend it listening to podcasts over at energeticcity.ca slash podcasts. That's our show. Trey Lopashinsky and Jordan Prentice are the producers of Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. Be well. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.